0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Pharmacy and Brightside. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week, my iPad Pro friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes?
1: Pretty good, Stephen, now that there's not loud fan noise in my office.
0: I know, that Intel Mac Mini, you just could barely hear you over it. The fans were just deafening.
1: Right, I had to record <laughs> under a blanket. I mean, you couldn't right, tell yes. last week on the video, but, you know, <laughs> it's fine.
0: Yes, we are doing solo audio this week. So, everything will be brought to you by our mouths. That sounds weird, but I, I said what I said. I'm going to leave it in. So, I wanted to point out a couple cool things that came out. I had an interview with Om Malik earlier this week. If you don't know who Om Malik is, he started the website GigaOm, which is very popular tech news site throughout kind of the aughts of the 2000s. Really kind of a futurist guy. Like he's got great ideas about the future of technology, synchronous experiences over the internet and social media networks. And it was really fun talking to him. He's kind of one of my bucket list guests to have on the show. So Om Malik, that interview was the last episode in the feed. I encourage you to check that out if you haven't heard it yet. And thank you for the positive feedback from those who did listen and tweeted at me. And also there's some shortcut videos that I've been putting out on the Apple Insider YouTube channel. Wanted to see how many people are interested in that kind of stuff. I did a home ETA shortcut, which with a tap of a button, you can like automatically text someone how many minutes you are from home or from work. And so I'll put links to those in the show notes, but, uh, yeah, shortcut videos. Let me know if you want to see other shortcut videos and, and all that kind of stuff. So
1: those shortcut videos are pretty handy. Um, I've been keeping track of a lot of the, the shortcuts guys out there, uh, just because you never know what tool or what thing they might bring up that you've never heard of before, right? And I'm definitely into the wallpaper changing periodically throughout the day because now with iOS 15, you can tie that in with Focus. Oh yeah, you could set it up so that you could have custom icons on specific home screens show up with specific wallpapers at right. different times of the day. It takes a little bit of work, but I think that'd
0: be really cool to set up. That would be pretty cool. And listeners, I do want to thank like you listeners specifically because Matthew Casanelli, he was a guest a couple episodes ago. He is all about the shortcuts. So if you follow him on Twitter or his website, MatthewCassinelli.com, but he messaged me and said that he had a bunch of people get to his website and sign up for his membership deal right after the interview aired on Apple Insider. So I just want to say, listeners, thank you all for supporting the people we have on the show. I reach out to all these guests because they're just people that I want to talk to. And we actually still have some really cool interviews coming up. I had a couple people scheduled on a variety of topics. Yeah, just thanks for supporting our sponsors and guests that come on the show. You guys are pretty cool. So, thank you guys for that. So, there's not a ton of news this week. And so, we're going to hit some iPad Pro accessories and a bunch of listener questions that people sent in in a little bit later in the show. But we actually did have the first public betas released for iOS 15 and macOS, apple watch all that kind of stuff so if you wanted to try these betas but you didn't have a developer account or you just didn't want to pay for one you can now get the public beta for free we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to try it on your devices again all the asterisks and disclaimers about running betas on your main or mission critical devices the beta you know i ran it on my ipad pro for a little while it was fairly solid but again you can never be 100 percent sure that it's going to be flawless so are you Still running the developer betas, Wes, or did you go over to the public beta?
1: Oh no, developer all the way. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, running it on everything, including the recently reborn Mac Mini. So,
0: so have you tried shortcuts on that Monterey?
1: No, I've again, I've barely turned on Monterey. I think the longest I've used it was when we recorded our podcast uh, on video. And that's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> the the Mac Mini's sitting on my desk, powered off, uh, and it's not even plugged into a monitor right now. So m- maybe eventually I'll I'll get around to playing with it.
0: Yeah, that's that's the most tempting thing for me about Monterey, but I don't, I'm not going to do it on my M1 MacBook Pro because that is mission critical. As you say, I do have a Intel Mac mini. It's a little slow, but I don't know. I, I might just wait. We'll see. That's public betas. We'll put a link. You can get those now. Also, this is another rumor about the MacBook Pros. It looks like suppliers are getting ready for a third quarter launch of the 14 and 16 inch redesigned MacBook Pros. This was a report from Digitimes. And so again, we thought we might see it at WWDC. We did not. Rumors that maybe there'll be an event over the summer, but then Mark Gurman came out and was like, no, probably not going to see anything over the summer. So it looks like most likely it's going to be fall time, September, October for the M1X or M2 or whatever it's called, 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. Basically, Get your wallets ready because the fall is probably going to be, you know, new iPhone time. Surely there'll be a new Apple Watch that redesign might be coming this year. The 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro, and we also still have whatever Pro iMac line that might come out with Apple Silicon. It might come out all at the same event. You know, 14, 16 inch MacBook Pro, and some iMac Pro or M1X iMac. So that's look like all going to be in the fall.
1: Well, you know, you know what this reminds me of, Stephen. Mm. Uh, you ever play putt putt before? <laughs> Yes, I have. You just slowly tap the ball down the field, and you, sometimes you'll miss the hole, but then you'll go back and hit it, and then it misses the hole again, and maybe you'll get like 15 or 16 score on that hole, but eventually you'll get it in the hole, just yeah. you know, tapping it around. So uh-huh. that's how I feel when I read these articles about, it's coming, it's going to be here next quarter, and it yeah. we're just still tapping it down the field, hoping that mm-hmm. maybe this time maybe we'll this make it into the hole. Yeah,
0: I will say this with some certainty, no sources or anything, but we're not going to go through the rest of this year without seeing another Apple Silicon Mac. Like surely there will be Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, there will surely be it. You know, fall time honestly makes sense because that's when the first round of M one Macs came out. It was the MacBook air, MacBook pro and Mac mini. So having it be a year later, I will say after that, if Apple hits the two year mark again, Tim Cook said once Apple Silicon launched that the full transition to Apple Silicon will be two years after the fall time, They only have about six months left and you still have the Mac Pro out there, again, the iMac Pro, 14, 16-inch MacBook Pros and, you know, whatever else device they might want to launch. So we'll have to see them soon.
1: It's going to be a pretty busy year for sure.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The fall time is going to be ridiculous.
1: Well, let's go ahead and put our conspiracy theory hats on because mm, Apple yes. just discontinued officially the MacBook.
0: Yes, 12-inch.
1: Maybe we'll finally see one of those, or maybe not. I think Apple's leaning pretty heavily into the iPad in that space, and the you know MacBook Air is already pretty solid uh, yeah. for being a small device. Did you ever use that 12-inch MacBook? Did you own one?
0: I, I actually did, and... I my first Mac was the 12-inch G4 PowerBook and so the nostalgia factor was pretty heavy for me and I enjoyed it. That thing was slow. I mean, oh yeah. I tried to open Final Cut once and edit something and I was like, "Okay, this is this is impossible." So, it was a very very minimalist computer and it was only one port and it only had one USB-C port. But I did really like the light thinness and the size. Like it was it was pretty fun.
1: Yeah. What, this came out back when I was still trading around between 10 different computers trying to figure out what I wanted to use. I, I bought whatever the first version was. What was What's the Intel chip that's not the i-series? That's like the mobile processor. It's
0: the Intel Core M or something like the Intel M. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Core, core M. Yeah. It's, it's not good at all. No, it, not good. It, the thing barely turned on, but uh, it was really cool in the fact that It was just so small and light. It didn't even fit. It felt like a toy, but like in a good way. It just felt really well built. And it was just a, this sturdy little clamshell that you could palm in your hand. I don't know. It was just something interesting about that design that I really liked. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it come back, especially considering the M1 could probably easily fit into that without any, you know, power constraints or thermal limits.
0: I mean, if it fits in that iPad Pro 11 inch, surely. Right. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I'd be down for it. It'd be nice to have that option. We are going to talk about also in a little bit, Back to school recommendations, because I've had a number of people just kind of hitting me up personally on the side about what to get. And so I have some thoughts on that in a little bit. Before we get to that, AirPower. Yes, AirPower, the device, infamous device that Apple, Phil Schiller literally announced it on stage, said it was coming. And then after almost two years, Apple officially canceled the project. It looks like there's rumors that Apple might be Looking again to build some kind of air power thing. Remember, they have MagSafe Duo. They have that Apple Watch iPhone Duo charger now. So they they do have devices. And so maybe another mat will be coming out. I still love my Belkin 3-in-1. I have that where you can charge an iPhone. It kind of MagSafe hangs right there. An Apple Watch and AirPods at the base. That Belkin 3-in-1 is incredible. Love it. But I'd be interested to see what Apple does with a first party MagSafe three device charging thing too. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a patent rumor. So again, it's just right. Apple's designing things, uh, coils and stuff to make wireless charging better with these charging mats or whatever. And yeah, we always bring up air power, but you know, it it could just be a a charging mat. (laughs) I mean, I think if Apple ever does, uh, make a charging mat, they'll probably reuse that name. I think it, honestly, was just a misnomer in the first place. I think air power could be better used elsewhere. Maybe if we ever get true wireless charging technology, like uh, uh, what was that Xiaomi was building? Right, right. Where it could literally port the power over the air and you know, hopefully not cause cancer, but charge your devices.
0: Seems like such a cancer machine, but I don't know, maybe not.
1: Right, but no air power. Uh, I'm I'm down for Apple designing uh, bespoke wireless chargers that'll probably cost 100 to 200 dollars. But I don't know. I think I think we're pretty well covered by third parties at this point. I'm not sure what Apple could bring to the space.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Now this next thing is actually a nine to five Mac article, but they really did a nice job of putting together some of the new Siri features. And so I just want to mention a few in the keynote, and we've talked about it here. Siri is gonna have on-device speech processing and all those changes to make it faster, a better experience on-device. But they also uncovered some more features like contextual commands, meaning if you're looking at a contact on your phone, you could hold the Siri button and say, send a message to this person, I'm on my way. And Siri will know what is on screen. It will know that the contact is on screen and it can just send a message to that person like without you having to specify the name, you could just say, send it to this person. The same thing with sharing. It will contextually know what's on screen, whether you're looking at a photo, a web page, even a song in Apple music, and you can hold the Siri button and say, send this to Wes and it will send it in a text. It will share it with them automatically. You don't have to hit the share button, choose the contact and all that. Siri will just know by context what's on the screen. So pretty cool. You know, I've, I don't use Siri a ton. I've been trying it recently, just doing little dictations here and there for text. And it is good. Like, again, I feel like Siri is still trying to overcome the terrible impression it left early on when it first launched. And it is not bad. Like Siri is very good. I do some dictation and it works well. I do use it all the time for home automations, setting reminders, and it's pretty solid. But with these new features, it'll become even more powerful. Yes, Google Assistant has had these for a long time, but yeah, I'm looking forward to try it. Have you tried any of these with the with your beta on an iPad?
1: No, not yet, but uh, I have seen that like uh, this is also spread out to shortcuts as well. So now right. there's an input for shortcuts where you can take what's on the screen now see this is playing with fire those is just like replying with Siri and your airpods right you're saying send this to a person you have no idea what that output's going to be and I don't think you get to confirm it either is it going to be a web link is it going to be an image there's just a lot of ways that this can go wrong and and just spectacularly uh weird strange things maybe it'll grab the link to an ad that you're looking at that's underneath the web page and send that instead who knows right right it's it's something that I have to play with I want to see how accurate or like if you're just staring at this this web page i guess it would just send a link right right it's one of those things that i think it's going to be siri intelligence type stuff it'll probably figure out what you're normally going to send from something like this and send that instead but yeah like it it's replying with siri from the airpods or something or from the watch where you don't get to confirm what it's saying it just sends it it's it's kind of scares me sometimes, but uh <laughs> I do like using Siri though. Like I'm with you. I I've still kind of been to the base Siri functions of controlling the home, controlling music and all that stuff. But I would really like to see third party apps uh, take advantage of some of this stuff because you can tie into a lot of this now with iOS 15 and uh, just give us examples of what we should be using Siri for, especially, you know, Apple should be giving us some more examples here. And I feel like they haven't really been talking about Siri that much other than, you know, saying, hey, it works offline now, but what does that really mean?
0: Because typically I always look forward to that part in WWDC where they would talk about the new things Siri could do, you know, one year it was, you can." ask it to play music from spotify directly or it will integrate with like other i forget like restaurant applications like open table or something and we didn't really get that this past year as far as like new apis or commands that apps can plug into and again shortcuts can solve some of that if apps choose to support the shortcuts commands and all that maybe maybe some of this contextual stuff will make it more useful
1: yeah, I'm not exactly looking for Google esque approaches to things where it's, you know. No, no. Where they introduced what the answering machine that businesses could use for Google Assistant right. to answer the phone for like stuff. I don't really need Siri to do that for me. I do like the stuff like uh I think last year was when you could start doing the choose your own adventure Goldilocks and Three Bears and stuff with, with Siri and that was that was right. that was just kind of silly tech demo, but it was cool. And then nothing ever came from that. No one ever used it. Apple didn't make any more as far as I know. So right. I'm still a fan of saying, you know, t- tell me a joke and I get some lame dad joke out of it, but it's, it's always, you know, <laughs> usually pretty fun anyway. But I just, I, I feel like Apple could do a lot more here. And Gian Andrea has been running this for a while and I wonder what he's, you know, what they're doing over there. If this is just a lot of, behind the scenes work and that's, that's the results like of this year's APIs and stuff getting better. Yeah. Are we ever going to see more user facing things that they can maybe make a commercial about or something? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And if this year was just making sure Siri is super fast because of the on device and offline processing, like I'm all about that too, because that's one of the things I'll do a Siri command, even just, you know, if I hold the button, let it go. So it knows exactly when I'm talking, when I stopped, you still like, have to wait several seconds, at least on iOS 14, like the public release candidate release right now, it's a little slow compared to other voice assistants. So if in iOS 15, it gets significantly faster and then they add more features down the road, like that'd be great. Speed is always good.
1: Just one request for Siri. If they could speed up the process where it knows it's going to fail, that would be, that would be <laughs> nice. Cause yeah, that's true. If it understands that it's network is just not there. I just tell me immediately. Waiting. Right. Looking, you know, looking for your connection.
0: One moment. Finding
1: your answer. <laughs> One, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Or the, the Apple Watch was like, I'll tap you later when we're ready to respond. It's like, no.
0: <laughs> you never will. You never tap me back. Yeah. The watch is lying to me. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, I wanted to mention this Apple TV Plus, there was a new trailer that came out for the Apple TV Plus original show Foundation. And I've had this like checked in the Apple TV of like, you know, notify me or let me know, follow, whatever. And I just want to say the trailer looks amazing. And I'm very excited for this season two of all the different Apple content. I mean, literally season two of Ted Lasso. I'm wearing my Ted Lasso t-shirt right now, but also like all these shows that just look incredible. Foundation looks amazing. You actually posted a, a new was a new image in the Apple Insider Slack about the new art that it has. I'm just very excited for this new content.
1: Yeah, it's funny to, to look at because, uh, again, this is literally the foundation of sci fi. Like, this was written before even Space Odyssey, right? So this is what inspired Star Wars. This is what created the cinematic universes that we that we know and love. And watching these trailers, you see a lot of that and you're like, did, is this from the book? Did this inspire that thing from this movie? Or is this borrowing from that movie because it's already been made? You know, it's like <laughs> right, you know, right, the right. chicken and the egg problem yeah. with, uh, with it. So I've never read Foundation. I understand that it's kind of, it's a little dated, I guess, of a series, a bit difficult... Of a read but overall like the the ideas and the concepts introduced and the you know the story that it tells is just really, really good, and it, there's a reason why it's a it's a classic. But I'm definitely interested in seeing what is being done here because uh, I think this is going to be Apple's big promotional thing this year, just like Morning Show and uh, Mythic Quest has been for the last couple years. Yeah, I think this is going to be their their big trailer thing that that they're going to be sharing throughout the fall, and that's exciting to me. I, I want to see where this goes, and uh, it's one of those gifts that keep on giving, you know, it's literally a, a story of a thousand years. Like they could just literally make this forever and, and never stop. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's intriguing. Like we're, we're getting a lot of this stuff this year, right? Like Dune is about to come out. And I I, right. I watched this trailer and got very Dune feelings. But again, is it because Dune was inspired by Foundation? <laughs> it, it? It drives me nuts. My brain will never let me stop. Definitely excited.
0: Yeah. 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 Very cool. Right, I wanted to hit this news article about a doctor. So the doctor's name named Mohammed. Mutaza, he's in North Wales, and his son, who is 11 years old, was playing a game on an Apple device. I think it's an iPhone. He was playing this game, Dragons Rise of Burke, or whatever. And in this course of an hour, his son made 30 in app purchases, and in so doing, racked up an App Store bill of $1,792. So obviously to the father's terror, you know, to to see these email receipts, he apparently missed the first like 28 email receipts that he got. And then he finally saw them and stopped his son from doing it. But he went to Apple and, you know, asked basically for a refund and Apple refunded $290. Not exactly sure why just that amount. But Apple went on to explain that like there are many measures that are taken when an iCloud account is set up for a child, because the son was using a child iCloud account. And if you have that set up, like I have that set up for all my kids, the ask to buy is set up by default. And so you either have to disable ask to buy for your child accounts, or which the father said in his statement that the son must have memorized the password for his father's iCloud account or the screen time passcode, which is only a four digit passcode. And so if the son knows that, or, and if he knows the father's iCloud account password, then he would just be able to buy whatever he wanted and racked up this bill. And so the doctor is saying, you know, this is on Apple, the game, you know, tricked him into doing all these in-app purchases or whatever. So I have a couple thoughts on this one. Yeah, Definitely. Stinks. Like I think I remember Jack Black went on like Jimmy Fallon one time and talked about how his son racked up over a thousand dollars of in-app purchases. Like in-app purchases are can be scammy, but this was not a scam. Like these are in-app purchases that the son legitimately purchased, and the measures that Apple has for purchasing from a child iCloud account were not used properly in this regard. Or if his son knew his passcode, I mean, I I don't know. I'm I have three children. I'm very careful that whenever I put in the screen time passcode to approve a purchase that my kids don't see it and my kids definitely do not have the password to my phone or my iCloud account or anything like that. I also do an alphanumeric passcode, so it's not just a four-digit number. And so I get like you have to be security-minded for all that, but I almost feel like this speaks to the argument of sideloading apps that we talked about last week. And one of Apple's defense statements about sideloading was if apps could be downloaded outside the App Store, they would not be subject to the ask to buy and parental control features that Apple forces on any app in the App Store. Like those ask to buy features apply across the board for any app that you put on any Apple device because they all go through the App Store. And so I think this is actually a good argument for sideloading not being the best idea because ask to buy, which is the feature that would have prevented this scenario would be unavailable if sideloading were a thing and you could get games outside of the app store. So I thought this just was an interesting point. I know this guy's kind of mad at Apple about it, but I think it speaks to the parental control features that Apple does have in place and why we should protect those and not put those in jeopardy.
1: I know uh, my, my nephews, uh, they're, five and three they both have little ipad minis that they toy around with i don't don't talk to me i'm not the parent i it's decisions they've made it's their little play thing. They they get to go in there and play games. Uh, the five year old's obsessed with uh, Roblox and stuff. Oh yeah. And I and, and I've gone in and, and messed with the parental controls. You know, because the parents they are not technologically savvy. So I'm I'm the guy that does this for them. And I pretty much disabled the app store uh, from being able to even show up in some of these. I I can't remember yeah. if that's like a part of parental controls or Screen
0: Time. But in Screen Time, you can hide the app store completely. Yeah. And I, one of my sons was just compulsively going to the app store because he wanted to download new games that were free and so i just said app store is gone and so the app store just yeah. doesn't even appear on his device
1: because he was he was spamming the, his parents with ask to buy requests um, just, <laughs> right exactly because it, it, there's no limit to how many times you can ask you can just ask continuously exactly yeah it would drive him nuts and it's like well yeah you can just turn off the, uh, the app store entirely and yeah roblox is built around uh in app commerce like it's built right. to say hey buy this two dollar thing, buy this five dollar thing. Hey, this right. this thing's cool. Spend money on it. And <laughs> that's really terrible for, you know, kids. And again, like, I'm not going to share my opinion on them having iPads at that age, but yeah, it's just a bad thing for them to be seeing constantly that it makes them want it and they don't understand why they can't have it. And, you know, money's just not a a thing for them. So it's a whole fight, but uh, in any case, I I would say definitely learn your parental control stuff and take take control where you can. Um, I agree with you that uh, having these controls in place. Is better than not. Like, uh, if you had sideloading and stuff, all they'd have to do is go to Safari games like Roblox. Yeah. There's a lot of user content in there or, you know, chat. Right. And all, all, someone has to say to this child is, "Hey, go to this website. You can download this cool thing." And game over. They, they can do it. Right. If sideloading was allowed. Now, this kid, of course, had access to way more than he should have. If he had a, any password at all, that's on the parent. I don't care right. if it's like I shouldn't have to do. Dude, just change your password. And don't give your kid the password ever for any right. reason. Right. Like that's it, it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And again, in your train of thought here, how easy is it for a child? to find out a password to something and go make a purchase versus going and finding mommy's credit card and going and making a purchase, right? Like mm. the credit card is accessible. It's physical. It's real. All it has to do is be unattended for a moment. You can go dip into a purse and type it into a website, buy a, buy an app and download it. Right? Mm. Yes. The argument can be made. They could do that with any number of things. And if a kid's going to do that, they're going to do it. But Apple does remove the ability for doing this with software. And that again is a good thing because If the ability to do something like that exists, people are going to make it known to, especially to people who will abuse it, right? like children (laughs) who don't know any better.
0: Right, exactly. And and one of the benefits of the screen time parental controls is you can enable or disable installing apps at all. So you can turn off the app store entirely and you can actually disable in-app purchases across the board. So if you want a child to be able to download apps, but not even be able to do any in-app purchase like not even be able to request it you can turn that off as well and i actually have that turned off for both of my kids like i say like no in-app purchases ever and i tell them listen i pay for the apple Premier subscription uh apple one and so apple arcade a bunch of fun games that don't require any in-app purchases look for games there because i would prefer you play those anyway and they find great ones like my son still plays sneaky Sasquatch. And they found a couple other ones that they really liked. Plus, we have a Nintendo Switch. So it's like, we really never need to do an in-app purchase for anything. And so I just leave that toggle off. And if there's ever a situation where there's an actual like educational app or something that we do want to do an in-app purchase, like it's a little bit of a barrier, but I will go to parental controls, enable in-app purchases just for that moment, do the thing and then disable it once again. And so I, I keep that super tight. So I don't know. Listeners, if you want to know more about like parental controls and screen time, maybe I'll do a video kind of walking everybody through it because it is important. And I understand it could be confusing because there are a lot of toggles. I mean, if you go into screen time settings, there's like content and privacy restrictions, there's app restrictions, downtime. Like I understand there's a lot of stuff in there, but at the very least disabling in-app purchases and making sure that your kids don't have your password, I think is super key. So. Just want to mention that as a a word of warning to all.
1: Yeah, I mean, take everything I say with a grain of salt. I'm not a parent, but parenting in the digital age, it's got to be rough. There's there's way too many pitfalls here, and parents have to know a lot more than they would on their own, especially technology-wise. If they're going to give their kid access to any kind of technology, say a PlayStation, a Switch, or even an iPhone or an iPad, I think it's in the parent's best interest to learn the bare minimum for parental controls. Everything has it these days. And it surprises me to learn anytime I talk to a parent about technology that they're like, wow, I didn't know I could even do any of this. It's, it's most things you buy these days will have some kind of parental control just because there's so many laws and regulations around it that it pretty Mm -hmm. much has to be there. So I would say do your research. Like, uh, it's, it's definitely on you and it's, it sucks. Like our editor was talking about the doctor guy, you know, he's got a PhD, right. And he didn't know to go and protect his money uh, from the app store. And that sucks.
0: Yeah. And, and by no means is it saying you are not intelligent for not knowing it. Like that's, that's one of the things where this dude's a doctor, you know, like he is a very smart person. And so it has nothing to do with intelligence or anything. It's just, if this is not the world you live in and most people don't live in like the nerd tech world, you know, you just, you just don't know. But at the very least protect your passwords and make sure ask to buy is enabled for child iCloud accounts, which it should, and do not share iCloud accounts across devices. You know, I still see families do this where they'll just sign in with the same iCloud account across devices because you think that's the best way to share purchases and all that. Like, don't do that. iCloud Family is a thing. It's free to set up. Purchases get shared. Auto- purchases get shared automatically. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll do a video on this because I feel like I'm, I'm passionate about it now because I don't want people. It's tough. Like, I totally get it. And with back to school coming up, people getting new devices, I totally get it. So, I don't know. Stay tuned. YouTube.com/slash Apple Insider. This episode is brought to you by BrightSide. Dealing with anxiety or depression can be paralyzing, but you should know that you're not broken and you're not alone. We also know that during COVID and the pandemic, it's taken a toll on all parts of our lives. When you need help, BrightSide is there for you. BrightSide offers personalized, life-changing anxiety and depression care from your own home. Most mental health providers make getting help exhaustingly difficult, or you get the same treatment as everyone else and don't feel any better. Brightside offers help for the full spectrum of anxiety and depression conditions. so no matter what you're feeling, you'll get a treatment plan tailored to your specific needs on your schedule. You can go to brightside.com/apple Insider, take a quick free mental health assessment, and within 48 hours you're connected with your expert provider to start your personalized treatment plan. I personally went on the website and took the assessment, and I've found that the questions they asked were meaningful. They have different options for, I experienced this every day, some days, or rarely. And you're really able to describe what you're going through in great detail during this assessment. And this way, the care that they provide can be personalized for you. So whether you choose therapy, medication, or both, all plans follow the highest clinical standards, are based on the American Psychiatric Association guidelines, and 85% of Brightside members feel better within 12 weeks. And it's affordable with a flat monthly fee and no hidden costs. You can get all the help you need without worrying about a big bill. Plus, with Brightside's Better Care Guarantee, you can get a full refund within 30 days. No questions asked. So join thousands of Brightside members taking back their lives. Take your free mental health assessment and get up to $100 credit. That's $100 credit on your first month of treatment at brightside.com slash apple insider. That's B R I G H T S I D E dot com slash Apple Insider. And that link will be in the show description as well. Brightside.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Brightside for sponsoring this episode. Well I wanted to talk a little bit about back to school computer buying. I've had a couple people hit me up about what to buy and I feel like of all years, this is actually one of the easiest to recommend back-to-school buying seasons because the M1 MacBook Air is just an incredible computer and it is obviously Apple's most affordable one as well. As far as a laptop, you know, I'm not going to talk about the M1 Mac Mini. That is a great value, but typically when people talk about back-to-school, you know, you don't want to have to get a monitor and all that other stuff. You just want a laptop. The one question that some people have is if you get one device, should you get an iPad with a smart keyboard or should you get a MacBook Air? And I think you tell me if you agree, Wes, but I feel like if you're going to get one device for your college student, it's going to be a MacBook Air. Don't just get the iPad.
1: Yeah, the, the iPad prices out very quickly. If you buy the baseline iPad Pro with a keyboard and a pencil, you're already way over MacBook Air pricing. Right. It's just simple as that. I mean, iPad Air, even get a, even if you get a Logitech keyboard, we're still talking about eight hundred dollars for right. an ipad air and imagine in a, a logitech keyboard it's it's not cheap for the right. for the most compatible hardware widest variety of software yeah macbook air absolutely yeah
0: and i will put links in the show notes for this but you can get education pricing on a macbook air and so you can get the base model m1 macbook air for 899 so that's 900 bucks And if you buy it through the education store, which I think Apple makes it very easy now, like you don't even have to provide proof of education, but you actually get a free pair of AirPods with the purchase of the MacBook Air. That's a deal that's going on right now. Get a Mac for college with education pricing, get AirPods. If you're gonna upgrade anything on it, if you have the money to upgrade a single aspect of the MacBook Air, I would upgrade the storage. It comes with 256 SSD standard. If you could, I would bump that up to 512. And if you could do that, like it's a solid machine all around. So $8.99 at the Education Store, and you get free AirPods. But if you don't care about the AirPods, and you really just want the cheapest, cheapest Mac you can buy, I would recommend, still, the M1 MacBook Air. But Apple actually has a certified refurbished site. If you weren't aware of that, I'll put a link to this as well. But you can go to Apple Certified Refurbished, with comes with the year of Apple's warranty and everything, because it's Apple refurbished. And you can get an M1 MacBook Air-based model for $850. The cheapest I think you can get, at least directly from Apple, you might be able to find something obviously on eBay or OWC cheaper, but because you get the Apple warranty and you're buying directly from them, I recommend either the education deal and you get the free AirPods or the refurbished, which you can get for $850. M1 MacBook Air, that's an incredible deal.
1: Yeah, and Apple's back to school stuff is odd because, again, they never discount directly other than the already existing. Uh, student discount, which is a year round uh, discount, but the AirPods is the uh, back to school program where anything, any, pretty much anything you buy right now that's school related, like a MacBook or an iPad, you get AirPods with it, the standard regular AirPods. Right. That's fine. And that's like a, what, $150 value. I'd also recommend that uh, if you're not looking at buying maybe direct from Apple or something, uh, there's other uh, options and uh, AppleInsider.com slash, uh, was it deals that you can go to? Yes. Or you can check out, you know, we have a lot of pages about buying uh, MacBooks and stuff on sale and they usually discount much greater even than Apple's uh, student discount, which again, isn't bad because right now, I guess also the deal is uh, 20% off Apple care plus, uh, during the back to school program. So not bad all around, but if you want just the MacBook and you don't really care about the AirPods, you can probably find even steeper discounts, uh, through our website.
0: Yeah, and I will say, obviously, we're with Apple Insider, but partiality aside, like our price guides is like one of those main features that I'll go to the website for if someone is looking to buy an iPad or a Mac, Apple Watch, whatever. Like we have price guides for all those things, and I'll put a link directly to the MacBook Air M1 price guide, and we compare, Adorama, Expertcom, Amazon, B and H, Best Buy, like all of those, and you can actually see pricing for all the different configurations across those places to buy. So it's a really useful resource. I'll put a link in there. You can just like go to it. It's like free to access. So there you go. Apple Insider pricing guides. So this next segment was actually inspired by Fernando Silva. He is a youtube guy who does a lot of ipad stuff he's actually also in florida he's a fellow floridian at the moment and i saw him doing some ipad accessory roundups on his channel and i was inspired i said you know what it's a little slower news week let's talk about the accessories we use with our ipads wes is like ipad pro first user it's what he actually works works on and again i've spoken about how i do a lot I do all my podcast editing on the iPad Pro and I do a lot of work on it. I enjoy working on the iPad Pro. And so if you have an iPad and you're looking for what are some accessories that make it even more powerful, we're going to go through some hubs, docks, power stuff, and all that. So we'll go back and forth. Let's start with hubs and docks. I actually have these first three that I'm going to mention. I have the Anchor 8-in-1 Hub. This is a USB-C hub that has like a little cable sticking out of it and it has an SD card slot, USB-A, another USB-C and you could do like power delivery in and it's kind of my on-the-go hub and it's I've used it a ton of times. It actually has an Ethernet plug as well so sometimes I'll use it with my MacBook if I'm out somewhere but the Anchor 8-in-1, it's a great option and I also have the Hyper 6-in-1 and the Hyper 1 I really like because there's no cable to it. It actually plugs flush against the iPad. And so it just sticks right on there and it looks really nice, it's solid. That has like an HDMI out. You have an SD card slot, Uh, no ethernet on that one, but it's a super compact. I keep that kind of in my iPad only bag if I'm gonna go somewhere with just my iPad. And so I really like the Hyper 6-in-1. But those are both USB-C docks. So if you're looking for a Thunderbolt 3, That one is going to be like a power dock, probably not something that's as portable as the first two I mentioned, but I will mention the OWC Thunderbolt 3 dock. I've been using that at my desk with my bridge vertical thing with my MacBook mainly, but it would work for your iPad as well. And the OWC Thunderbolt 3 dock, it's got a ton of ports. It's got the SD card slot. It's got a headphone jack, USB-A. It's got a secondary Thunderbolt port for another Thunderbolt peripheral. It's got USB-C on the front of it and the back of it. It's sleek looking. I really like it, it's the Thunderbolt 3 dock that I kind of live with and go. So those are my hubs and docks thoughts for the iPad Pro. Talk to me what you got, Wes.
1: So along with the, the purchase of the new iPad Pro with the Thunderbolt port and stuff, I kind of rebuilt my desk around this iPad. Right. If you want to see the new desk and how I wired everything, I, I posted it on Twitter. I've got a, a bunch of stuff mounted underneath the desk, literally taped to the bottom of it. First off, I got the Element Hub from CalDigit. Yes. That's a Thunderbolt 4 dock, but uh, Thunderbolt 4 is you know backwards compatible, so it works great with the iPad Pro and uh, Thunderbolt uh, Max. That guy has four USB-A ports and four Thunderbolt ports. So it's, it's insane. It's very nice. And I definitely, uh, definitely enjoy it. It's very small. Does, you know, doesn't need to cool it's external power sources, uh, connected to be one of those power cables. You don't have to provide a power source or anything. It's, it's included. I mean, the, uh, power source brick is bigger I think than the element hub itself, but it's, it's fine. Again, as long as you're <laughs> using it as a, at a desktop. Yeah. Th- this guy is definitely great. Now, again, like if you're looking at hubs and stuff, you might want access to, SD card slots, Ethernet. So, what I've actually done is through the power of USB uh, and Thunderbolt, I've connected my 12 South Stego hub that I've had forever Mm, uh, through one of the Thunderbolt ports. It's not Thunderbolt, but it's a USB shaped port, USB C shaped port that I happen to have available. So, uh, this guy has multiple USB A ports, Ethernet, and SD card slots. And I've got it mounted. So, the SD card slots are facing me right next to my keyboard uh, underneath the desk so I can just reach right there and stick an SD card slot in. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's a good one. That is also stego Uh, 12 south usb hub is good for on the go it's in the name because it comes with (laughs) a like hidden away inside of the casing is a small usb c to c cable that you can tuck out and use to plug in to your ipad or mac so that's that's pretty cool yeah for my go bag i have a uh, slim USB-C aluminum multi-port adapter from Setechi. That thing's pretty cool. I don't get to use it too often. Cause again, like I think I bought it right before the world ended. So, mm, but mm-hmm. this guy, again, it's, it's similar to the Stego, but it's smaller. It's uh, also got less ports. It's USB, a uh, two USB, a ports and HDMI port. A C port for power in and two SD card slots, and uh, this guy is handy for you know going to uh, uh, traveling and stuff, going to hotels. You can pop this guy to your iPad and you know display it on a hotel TV to watch movies, stuff like that. So that's that's what I uh, carry around with me.
0: Very cool. And this episode is brought to you by Amazon Pharmacy. Guys, you might have heard of Amazon, a little company out there from Washington. And if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you know how amazing it is to get that free two-day delivery on so many products. I use Amazon all the time from toilet paper and paper towels to some of my tech accessories. I use it for all of that. And now you can use Amazon Prime to get medications delivered right to your door. And here's why Amazon Pharmacy is amazing. You can work with your doctor to get your prescription directly from your doctor's office to Amazon Pharmacy, and then you never have to visit a pharmacy in person again. You can choose between 30 and 90 day supplies. And again, if you're a prime member, you can get six months worth of prescription medication at a time. And not only that, but it saves you money. Comparing your medication prices without insurance and with insurance is easy. And Amazon Prime members can get meds for as low as $1 a month when paying without insurance. So have your doctor's office send your next prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy and get it delivered directly to your door. Amazon Pharmacy works with most insurance plans nationwide, and you get free two-day delivery and save on prescription medication when paying without insurance. When I've used Amazon Pharmacy, it is an easy and simple experience. Getting the stuff delivered right to your door, just like everything else from Amazon, is super convenient. No more waiting online at the pharmacy or having to drive and drop it over and then drive and pick it back up. Amazon Pharmacy is the best. Amazon Prime members, you can save on prescription medication when not using insurance with medications as low as $1 a month plus free two-day delivery. Learn more at amazon.com slash appleinsiderrx, all one word. That's amazon.com slash appleinsiderrx. That link will be in the show notes as well. Amazon.com slash appleinsiderrx. Our thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, the next segment is power, and I just have one power thing to mention because I carry this thing everywhere and I love it. This is from Hyper again. It is their hundred-watt Gam charger. Again, I'm all about the Gam gallium nitride or gallium nitride technology, which means you can get a smaller like power brick, but it can give you a lot more power. And the Hyper one has two USB-C ports in the brick and two USB-A ports. I don't typically use the USB-A ports. If I'm ever at a hotel or something, I'll bring the Apple Watch chargers, like the portable ones, or, and I might plug those in, or just like if I have a MagSafe Duo Dock, I'll just bring a regular lightning cable with USB-A. But for a charger that I know can charge my MacBook Pro and my iPad Pro, I can plug in multiple devices. I love the Hyper 100-Watt GAN charger.
1: Okay, so 100 watt is overkill for me. I think the iPad peaks out at 30 watts. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think so. I'm, I'm good with overkill. Might as well. Uh right. These things aren't... How, how much is your, your hyper guy? Do you know off the top of my head?
0: The hyper one is... One hundred dollars. It's ninety nine bucks.
1: Okay, so I'll do you one better yeah, for yeah. for multiple reasons because uh, I don't. I think that that guy's also kind of small. The Gan is uh, really really cool because it's a lot of power in this really small form factor. It's allowing for very small outlet things, plugs. Yeah. Uh, Satechi one hundred watt. USB-C PD compact GAN charger. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful name. <laughs> it is basically what you have, except instead of it plugging directly into an outlet, it has a power cable that comes out of the back and runs to an outlet. So the ports are up on a table where you are. Right. This is, again, this is in my go bag. This guy has two 100 watt out USB ports, USB-C ports and one USB-A port for an additional charge. And yeah, this guy it, it gets it done. Charge I can charge my iPad Pro, iPad Air and an iPhone off this thing or, you know, connect an additional dock to it yeah. and basically power the dock through f- through this guy. So, uh cuz it has more than enough power to go through something like the Stago hub and provide power to everything connected through that as well. So, yeah. Uh, definitely recommend that for
0: 80 bucks. That is very nice. The hyper one does have prongs that just flip out. There's not a separate cable, and so I I do prefer that because it cuts down on one more cable in the bag. But right. this is definitely nice.
1: It depends on what problem you're trying to yeah, solve. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I found some like you might have different experiences, but you know, you those um, outlets that just don't grab uh, yes. to whatever you're, you're plugging into. Yes, and very something true. like that. I if you have a cable connected to it, I feel like it'll just fall out. <laughs> that is <laughs> um, true. Because especially
0: yeah. in a hotel, like if there's a socket behind like a nightstand or something, a lot of times you either have to move the nightstand way out or, you know, you're trying to shove your hand down there with the end of the plug. Something like the Satechi would be a better for that use case.
1: Either or. I mean, again, it just depends on whatever use case you're trying to solve. I, I like this guy for just it's you You can charge anything with it. You could probably plug a Tesla into it and charge it. Probably not. But, yeah.
0: <laughs> probably, Probably not. All right. So, oh, and also there'll be links to all these in the show notes, just so you know, listener, if you'd like to check them out. Next thing, keyboards and trackpads. This is one of those things where I, I mean, I have the Magic Keyboard. I've had it since it came out and I love it. You know, I really think it's probably the best option for using a keyboard and trackpad with an iPad Air or Pro. But if you're not down with the Magic Keyboard, it is expensive, starts at 300 for the 11-inch iPad Pro or iPad Air. 350 for the 12.9 inch you do have the logitech combo touch which has a trackpad and a keyboard it is definitely less expensive i tried it and i returned it i wasn't crazy about it because i use my ipad or macbook a lot in my lap sitting on like a chair or sofa not at a desk and the logitech combo touch it would be good at a desk if you had a hard flat surface but it's not great Lapability, if that's a word, like it's just not good in a lap. So, but if you have a desk situation, you might really like that bridge came out with an eye track I actually have it here and I'm going to try it out. Just haven't set it up yet. But if you're looking for a standalone trackpad, that's a good option. And then a uh, 12 South, this is not a keyboard or trackpad, but it is a accessory. The 12 South hover bar duo. It's actually a you know, articulating arm that has a pretty heavy base, and you can clamp your iPad into the top of it and kind of articulate that arm wherever you would like. And so it is okay. I have it, I've used it a couple times and depending on your use case, it might have the perfect angle for you or you might not be able to get it in the perfect angle, but check it out if you're looking for some kind of articulating arm like that. What keyboard options you got over there?
1: Well, I, I wanted to mention real quick, the, uh, the hover bar duo, that's what's holding my iPad up right now. And, uh, okay. it's pretty cool. I'm using the base. I, I don't have it, uh, slapped to like the clamp you can use. Um, I'm not using that. Gotcha. I will say that it's, it's it, the problem with these kinds of stands is the base. It's going to move around. If you're moving anything around, I've noticed when I'm typing on my keyboard, which is in a little, which is hidden away underneath, like it's one of those slide out keyboard things. It's on a, different section of the desk, but my key presses are just enough to shake the screen on the hover bar. And uh, it it drives me nuts. I don't know. I'm not staring at the iPad because I have a monitor in front of me, but I do notice it out of the corner of my eye that yeah, while this thing's nice and it holds the iPad up in the air, if you got going to be distracted by motion, eh, maybe not for you because I don't, I don't know how you solve for that. I think maybe it's impossible. I don't know. Uh, Cause I don't <laughs> think tightening these things anymore would stop it from v- vibrating at all. But yeah, just yeah. wanted to point that out, but I do like it. It's very sleek. It blends into my desk perfectly. Maybe I just need to like nail it down and chain it to the desk and <laughs> it'll be all right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I use uh, the Keychron K2. Yep. It's, it's probably my favorite keyboard I've ever used. Just perfect actuation distance. It sounds great when you're typing on it. I got the, uh, what is it? Red? Yeah. Yeah. Is it red keys. Yeah. I got, I got the red switches. Uh, so I'm, I'm not one of those. I don't want the whole house to know I'm typing, but it, it does have a nice <laughs> clackety sound. Yes, it does. But yes, uh, I have I've enjoyed using this guy. Uh, it's been my desk keyboard for a while. I hardwired in, but it does have the Bluetooth option of having three different devices connected to it. And you can switch devices using a, a function key, which is good for when I'm actually using the Mac at my desk, um, right. Switching back and forth. But 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 I also use Apple's Magic Keyboard uh, for my Go keyboard. Obviously, that thing's just pretty cool. Uh, It just looks fancy. It's futuristic-looking, whatever design Apple decided to use with its hinges. I wanted to mention I'm waiting on my Bridge Air Max Plus. This is their Mm. new keyboard for the 11-inch iPad Pro and uh, iPad Air. And uh, this guy, it's the Bridge keyboard on the bottom With this one being the 11-inch one, they're using their plastics from the uh, 10.2-inch iPad keyboard. Okay. It's still bridge through and through, and it's connecting over Bluetooth, and they've got this proprietary system that makes it connect fast, uh, like it's using the... A smart connector, so I'm I'm excited to try it out. But um, instead of using those little clampy things on the back, it's actually using the magnets and the iPad to mount to a that's nice a board in the back. I'm I'm very excited to try this thing out. It looks cool. Yes, but it has not arrived yet. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's shipping Any week day. of
0: July 12, so you got a little bit of time.
1: Um They told me since I was one of the first orders, they told me it should be arriving this week, like by July 5th, which is my huh? birthday. Yay!
0: Hey, birthday present. there you go. Very um, cool.
1: But yeah. Cool cool little uh, keyboard. Very cool. All
0: right, last couple sections here. I want to touch on mics and audio because I talk about podcasting on iPad. The Audio-Technica ATR2100X, I know it's a mouthful, but there'll be a link in show notes. It's probably one of the best USB-C microphones and it is USB-C, which is really nice because you can go just one cable. It's USB-C both ends directly from the mic to the iPad. It sounds really good. I think, is this the one you actually use to record, Wes? That, yeah, that's what I'm on right now. So, if you wanna know what it sounds like, just listen to Wes's voice in every episode, and that's what it is. It's really good. And if you wanted to have an interface that has two channels and you can use GarageBand or Ferrite to record those two channels separately, I recommend the Scarlett 2i2. The third gen model is USB-C and it doesn't require another power source. So you could go USB-C from the Scarlett directly to the iPad and you got two channels of recording audio right there. Highly recommend those if you're looking to do any kind of audio things with your iPad or iPad, iPad Pro really, because you want that USB-C connection. And finally, cases and bags. Just want to talk briefly about what we have. I do have a Peak Design backpack that I use for when I'm filming or doing video stuff. And so I put everything in there. But if I'm just carrying the iPad around by itself, I do have a Harbor London leather briefcase. It is pricey, but really love it. It's got great accessories. It's awesome leather. So I do that. But Harbor London also makes a bunch of sleeves and you can get sleeves with pencil, fit the magic keyboard and all that. So I highly recommend Harbor London. Pad and Quill has some cool sleeves as well. And finally, Nick Fitchpatrick sent me this recommendation. He's a fellow Floridian as well, but he sent me this website called Nedralo, And this is a, a guy, an individual making accessories for the iPad. And he has something called the Magic Sleeve and Desk Mat which is this cool material that he has magnets in it, and it can magnetize around the three edges that are separated to become a sleeve for your iPad. And then if you want a desk mat, you actually just spread it out flat, and it is like a almost a full size desk mat with uh, this cool material. And he's got several different sizes plus accessories. I actually went ahead and ordered a couple of his smaller ones to try out, but it looks like a really cool concept. I'll put a link to that. It's Nedrelo, N-E-D-R-E-L-O-W, the Nedrelo Magic Sleeve. And talk to me about your bag.
1: Well, I wanted to say that Magic Sleeve thing looks cool. Yeah. I'm worried about Ferris. Uh, dust and sand getting caught up in it. How easy is it to clean? Sure, I don't know, but it is definitely a cool concept. Something uh, I would probably want to try out at some point. Bags wise, I am just in love with the Nomadic Navigator bags series. I had a hands on with all three bags on Apple Insider, and I still use them as my primary bags to this day. The larger guy is good for uh, you know longer weekend trips, and then I have a smaller one I use for my iPad Air and take my camera with me so I can you know plug in my camera and see the previewed images on the iPad air and stuff. And that's like a good on the go camera guy. And then my, the go bag I've mentioned a couple of times earlier is actually a little dedicated cable case made by Nomadic. That's for organizing cables and chargers. And I keep that guy supplied with stuff so I can just grab it and throw it in a in a suitcase and go on a trip and not have to worry about forgetting anything. And those are yeah. really nice, decent bags that don't, they're not too flashy. So they're not screaming. I have expensive stuff in here, but at the same time, they're they're comfortable and good to use.
0: Very cool. Well, again, links to all the accessories we talk about will be in the show notes and you can check them out there.
1: Okay. So I put in the show notes as one of the listener questions. Have you ever just ordered stuff from China and wait a week to get it? <laughs> yes. Or longer. Uh, wait <laughs> yes. weeks to get it or, or longer. Cause I uh, found this really neat. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I was looking for a headphone stand for my, for my new desk, just to have to show off the AirPods Max or something. And I couldn't find anything, but then I found this thing from Binks, B-E-N-K-S. They have this AirPods Max stand and it's perfectly formed to fit the shape of the, the head. Uh, canopy for the uh, AirPods Max, and I thought it was a neat little guy, so I ordered it. Thirty bucks, you know, whatever. Aluminum cl- uh, kind of design. Shipped out of China. About a week later, it arrived, and I think uh, Pennsylvania. Spent five days in Pennsylvania, then it went to guess what, Illinois, mm. and spent several days in Illinois. Now it's in Ohio, and it's been in Ohio for about a week now, and I'm in Tennessee, so I'm just trying to figure out. Is it just going one mailbox at a time to my house? Uh, You know, what exactly is happening here? I might have to go on a trip to Ohio this weekend and go door to door and see if anyone's got my (laughs) AirPods Max
0: stand. Yeah, I know that's, you know, I actually just ordered it as you were talking because it looks really cool. And for 30 bucks, I'm going to try it because I don't have another stand. So yeah, we'll see. Let me know. (laughs) Let us know. You got to tweet it out if and when you get it, please. All right, well, to wrap up the show, we're going to do a lightning round of questions. You guys tweeted at me a bunch of questions. Thank you for responding. Wanted to do that. Fernando Silva, who I mentioned before, he's got an awesome YouTube channel, does a lot of iPad stuff. He sent in a question, where does the iPad Pro fit in your workflow? Is it more of a leisure device? Also, the coolest tech product you've gotten to review. I will say the iPad Pro is my podcast editing machine. I don't edit podcasts on my Mac or anything like that. I record on the Mac, but that is it. And then I use the iPad Pro for all that. And so I actually do a ton of work on the iPad Pro, not just podcast editing. I'll write the articles for Apple Insider on there. I'll use it to do emails and all that kind of stuff. I do use it as a leisure device for watching stuff at night. Again, our current living situation, we don't have like a TV in the bedroom. So 100% we'll watch on the 12.9 inch and love that screen size for watching entertainment there. So I do use it for leisure, but iPad Pro is definitely my work device, podcast editing being the biggest thing I do on there. And also the coolest tech product I've gotten to review. I actually got to review the original first-gen Apple Watch for Apple Insider. And I was so excited. It was kind of my first big device review. And I got it on launch day. I remember it was April 2015, I believe and was able to do the full review on it. We weren't doing video back then, so I didn't do a video review, but I have the article. I'll put the article in the show notes because it's obviously still there on the Apple Insider website, but I really enjoyed doing that, and it was a lot of fun. It was a new product category. It was kind of one of Apple's first new product categories in several years, so the original Apple Watch was my favorite review for sure. Another question, this is Alex. He actually sent me an email. He's having an issue with AirPods Pro and listening using the Apple Podcasts app set at 2x playback speed. Now I use Pocket Cast for podcasts and I don't listen at 2x, but if you guys out there have AirPods Pro, use the Apple Podcasts app and listen at 2x, let me know if you have any weirdness going on when you try to skip forward. He's having some weird pauses and stuff when it skips forward. And so If you have that situation, let me know. I'd be curious. And then Derek on Twitter, he asked me, what sites or apps have you come across that push the power of the M1? Right now, Wix is really taxing the memory and Wix is a website building platform. And I'll be honest, the M1 is hard to find where you'll max it out power-wise. I will say two scenarios. One is in website creation, like Derek was saying. I use Squarespace for web design. And if I have a website with a ton of pages and I've been editing for a while, I'll get the warning up in Safari that says, you're using a lot of memory using this website. I don't, know, I don't notice the computer as a whole slowing down. I'll definitely notice Safari will get a little laggy, but again, that's really editing large websites and the one time where I heard the fans spin up on my M1 MacBook Pro audibly for a long time is when I was trying to edit one of our video podcasts actually for Apple Insider and I was doing a multicam clip with four different 4K video streams and also trying to layer another video stream on top of it cuz trying to do I was trying to make split screen and stuff easy to use and my MacBook Pro was blowing that fan and it was dropping frames. I could not watch it in real time. And so if you're working with like three plus streams of 4K video footage, you're definitely gonna hit a wall on the M1. That's where I noticed it. And so I am looking forward to the M1X and the redesigned 14-inch, 16-inch MacBook Pros that'll be coming out this fall. Elvis on Twitter sent me this tweet, not the rock star from like the 1960s. This is, this is Elvis with a Y. And Elvis said he was intrigued by the paper Apple published about sideloading apps. We talked about it on last week's episode. But do we know of any threats described like they did in the paper that are happening in the real world on Android? I'll be honest, I'm not following the Android world super closely. I've heard of different malware and viruses happening on Android devices, but I do not think it is prevalent. And again, I think most Android users will still only get apps from the Google Play Store. And Google, while the barrier to entry of getting in the Google Play Store is much less than the App Store, maybe not much less, but they have less requirements for developers to get their app in, they still do check for malware and viruses and will not allow nefarious apps into the Google Play Store. So if you have an Android phone and you stick to the Google Play Store and downloading apps from there, you should be safe. I I don't think... And I've not heard of many issues with people just using that method. But if you sideload apps and you, you know, download, if you try to root your device and do different customizations that way, you could probably get some pretty, you could probably get some malware viruses, but I don't think many people experience it in the real world. That's a good question. And AWE Bravo on Twitter, he was asking, what about Apple making a car? And this is one of those things where, you know, obviously Apple is working on it. There's been so many reports and rumors and leaks about Apple's car team and automated vehicle team. Apple Insider actually had one of the biggest breaks. Again, this was about 2015, 2016 time about Project Titan, and we had the huge report on it. So obviously Apple is working on it. Whether it will be a shipping product, it's hard to say. You know, I feel like Apple is going to have to find other. Avenues of revenue, other product categories in the future. And so it would not surprise me one day to either see an Apple car or a car from a maker like Hyundai or Nissan that Apple puts kind of their stamp of this is the CarPlay MagSafe built in Apple car. I feel like that would be more likely than Apple trying to build its own car itself. But 20, 30 years from now, you know, who knows? So it's definitely interesting to me. Again, I'm not a huge car guy. I would love a Tesla, 100%. Like I would totally go with a Tesla. But other than that, not totally into cars. So it's interesting for sure. But I think we have to wait a number of years to find out what Apple's actually been working on. And this last question is from David on Twitter. He was asking, iOS 15 beta, Apple podcast versus Overcast. And so again, if you've listened to this podcast at all in the past several months, you've heard me bemoan Apple podcasts app. Links are still broken in the app. It's just navigation is not super friendly. And so in the iOS 15 beta, not much has changed, to be honest. The links are still broken and all that. And I think it's because the Apple podcast service is really something that Apple delivers on their server side into the app, which is why things like show note links are kind of broken because it has to do with their backend stuff. Again, they are still working to fix that. It is not fixed if you just download the beta. So don't download the beta thinking you're going to get a better Apple Podcasts app experience. But for me, I'm still a huge Pocket Casts listener. That's my podcast app of choice. That's what I use to listen to every show. Overcast, again, is the second most popular app. The listeners of this show use Overcast, second most, second only to Apple Podcasts. So if you're looking for a podcast app to switch to, or just want to try something different, yes, try Overcast. But I also always recommend Pocket cast. Thanks for those questions. I'd love to have more of those come in. Do a little QA at the end of every show. You can tweet at myself. That's the best way to get a hold of me at Stephen Robles. You'll find that Twitter link in the show notes. You can follow Wes as well. His Twitter handle is Hillitech. That's in the show notes. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And you can support the show and get an ad free version of every episode plus the bonus episodes ad free you can do that at patreon.com/appleinsider you might want to do it on patreon if you don't use the apple podcast app or if you're an android user but if you want to try the apple podcast subscription. You can do that as well. It's $5 both places. If you do it in Apple Podcasts, you can even do a free trial and you can try some of the episodes that are ad-free right there in Apple Podcasts. It's really nice. It just switches your subscription over to the ad-free version. You don't have to subscribe to a different show or add an RSS feed. Everything just happens automatically. Again, we had some awesome interviews on Apple Insider. Check out that Om Malik episode Matthew Casanelli, and we have some more interviews coming up that are really cool. If you have someone that you would like to hear on the show as a special guest, I'd love to hear those recommendations. Again, tweet those at me. I'd love to hear from you there. And finally, don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. That's my show with Andrew O'Hara, where we talk about HomeKit and smart home devices. That comes out every Monday, and the Apple Insider Daily Podcast, where you get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.